I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 81. Uh, this is a retelling uh, put in uh, music, just as uh, we had read in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, describing uh, God's dealing with his people, uh, the uh, journey uh, from Egypt throughout the Promised Land, but then their hearts drifting away from God, yet the generous call to repentance and to return put in ex- in, in uh, excessive, excessively generous terms. Uh, let, us, uh, let us turn our attention then to God's word. A beautiful, beautiful psalm. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise the sound, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you in the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. This is God's holy word. Again, pray with me. Lord Jesus, um, you are uh, the bread from heaven and you are the living water. Feed us, nourish us today. Um, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bring about this word that you caused to be written Uh, to be written also on our hearts, um, to change us, to awaken us to your generosity, that we would respond in humble faith and obedience. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, make no mistake about it, uh, the book of Psalms is our songbook. It was written for us. It describes... First of all, clearly, uh, God's work among Israel, his rescuing Israel from Egypt, uh, their journeys through the promised land, through the wilderness, eventually into the promised land. And in this Psalm uh, 81, uh, we, we actually could identify this as the central Psalm in all of the 150 Psalms, not because it's 75 or 76, 
but it is the central psalm in the sent in the third book out of the five. And we have labeled or identified this third book as the king's crisis over God's promises. The king's crisis in the face of God's lavish promises, perhaps better stated nowhere else in this psalm, the people were thirsty um, and they had no water. They were in a hard place and must have wondered what good can come of it. And God would say to you and me to watch, let it unfold, uh, and, and hear the lavish promises of God. Um, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will give honey from the rock of your hard places. So this is ours. It's about Jesus delivering and caring for us. Uh, it, it is also, we see, um, it, part of the, the background of this psalm is the Feast of Booths. The reference to the new moon here, the beginning that is the beginning of the new year. Uh, the, the people were to stay in tents for a week in order to chem- commemorate, to retell uh, their wilderness journey as they were then led into the promised land. But they kept that uh, in the promised land, that feast of booths, not just to look back at God's deliverance, but with perhaps now, out even, without even knowing it as fully as we do, looking forward to the land that was to come. For we too are looking for a better country, a heavenly one. And so we see Jesus at his feast of booths, John 7, we'll get to that. And we celebrate with him as we open wide our mouths for the living water. My theme this morning is actually taken from a book that I have uh, dipped into uh, on and off over the last several months. And the name of that book is this, Expect God, or God is Better Than You Imagine. God is always better than you imagine. And so our theme this morning is expect God to be better than you even imagine. Israel did not get it. Pray the Holy Spirit that we do, that we get this. I want to look at this passage really with three basic ideas to to discuss. And one of them is that Jesus' rescue is personal. Jesus' rescue is personal. And secondly, that God's testing is purposeful. And then finally, the the Spirit's generosity is profuse, abundant, extravagant, prodigal. It's excessive. Jesus' rescue is personal. Now, now God meets us at our real needs. This is obvious in the case of, in the case of Israel. God's people were suffering. Uh, they were being dehumanized by their slavery in Egypt. They were bent under those burdens. And God relieved their burdens. God lifted their burdens. He set them free. He delivered them. And listen, Listen to God describing uh, in, in Exodus uh, chapter 2. God, what God was, the people groaned because of slavery. They cried for help. God heard their groaning. God saw the people of Israel. And listen to this. And God 
knew. God knew them and what they were going through. He knew them in their distress. You called and I answered. You called and I delivered. And we must make, of course, the same the same reference to Jesus who also knows you. His rescue is personal. It is exactly what you need. He carries the guilt and the burden of our sin, that condemnation. He took it to the cross and in the power of the cross dissolved that burden. And he sets us free. Free that so that we can be alive to God. Free that so we can more closely approximate that humanity in which, for which we were, were uh, born and reborn. He sets us free. Of course, our journey is hard. Of course, we are in a wilderness. And it's even harder these days. But do you think that at the first hint of trouble that God has lost interest? Do you wonder if he knows what you're going through? He knows. He knows. And this psalm urges us to fight any pessimism that might be invading our hearts, that we allow to invade our hearts, any pessimism with worship. This is a time of unprecedented suffering. It is a sign of a time of sadness. Um, It is uh, not uncommon these days to hear of a conflict uh, that is being unleashed in the streets of our nation. People are unleashing anger in our stores and in our restaurants because they're not being perhaps served in the way that they would like to be. Those, uh, there are many who are worn down by the circumstances in which we're living. And it would be easy to give into pessimism and to the thought that God truly doesn't know or worse, doesn't care. But God graciously commands us. Uh, this is uh, a requirement. He made it a statute. For Israel, he makes it a statute for us to sing aloud to God our strength. He graciously commands us to worship so that in the moment of our pessimism, by the, by the Spirit's help, we are able to redirect our thoughts and our minds and our hopes on God and the age to come, the new earth to come. But we delight ourselves, as the psalmist says, we delight ourselves in the Lord. And we sing together, great is thy faithfulness. There there is no shadow of turning, no matter what our individual circumstances might be. No shadow of turning. And so we fight pessimism with worship. Yet we also understand that God's testing is purposeful. And we should expect 
testing during our journey. The, the book of Exodus contains, uh, a, a, of course, that, that great exodus from Egypt, but then as the journey uh, in the wilderness has begun, they are three days um, out of Egypt and they, they, they are without water, they are in a hot desert wilderness, they are very, very thirsty and they come to a place that we would come to call Mara or bitter. They, they come to a place, seek to drink the water and it is bitter, they can't and and they begin then um, to to rebel against God. They became bitter. They became faithless. They became caustic toward God. But it is very clear in that text that the, there is a purpose to the test. And the te- the test is this: is is the Lord truly among us? Is the Lord among us in their wilderness? Uh, in their thirst, or can we at the same time say, yes, the Lord is among us. And the Lord shows up in that place in Mara. The Lord shows up. The scripture says that Yahweh stood upon the rock. The rock that Moses struck. God was there. God satisfied them. A bit further, uh, they come to a place that we've identified as Meribah, or a place of grumbling. And we remember that there are two purposes to God's testing. To help us grow in faith and our trust in God, so that we were able, we're able not to give in to those fears that maybe He doesn't care. As these people did, listen to what it says. He's brought us out here. How they impugn the motives of the God who had lifted their burden and brought them out and freed them. They impugned His motives with this. He brought us out here to kill us and our children. They were still in bondage to fear and to uh, disbelieving God. The purpose of your suffering in mind, your testing in mind, is to develop our faith and our trust in God. But also, secondly, to help us detach from the things of this world. It is easy for us, as the Israelites, to have an over-attachment to the things of the world. We want to go back to Egypt. We miss our leeks and garlic. We miss the relative stability of a life, even if it was slavery. We miss that. And in the desert, they had God. But that wasn't enough. And so we think about our own, our own COVID spring, and we think about the way that, that we respond to not getting the things that we want. It is easy for us to complain in, or to, to complain in our suffering. Could it be that God uses the current deprivation to help us detach a little bit from our sense of entitlement and our sense that this truly is life? what we see around us in these days. We can have an unhealthy dependence. Consider, consider what goes on in your own heart when you are inconvenienced by the things of this COVID-19. And I'm not thinking right now about here those who are so deeply affected with the loss of work or small business owners who who see a direct correlation between work done, work produced, and, and the way they're able to care for their families. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about m- many of us who may simply be inconvenienced 
And we may resist what God is doing because we don't want to be inconvenienced. How is God testing you in this? I would suggest that we fight our sluggishness with obedience, with obedience, and consider what is the stress that COVID-19 is revealing in your heart. What does the stress of COVID-19 reveal about you? A goal for all of us in these days would be to build our trust in God, that our fear would not drive us to isolation or or self-reliance, but it would drive us to God. Our anxiety would enable us to remember the test that was given at at Moriah. Um, Is God among us? May our anxiety lead us to say, yes, God still is among us. We are safe. We are well cared for in Him. And the, and the second thing is then, of what, of what uh, strong obedience is God calling you to in COVID-19? Think about, think about ways that you can serve Him and, and are drawn to serve Him in this different time in which we are living. One thing is this, and I can almost guarantee this for every one of us, it is to get out of our comfort zone in some way or other and reach out to care for others. There has not been a time when the need of others in our congregation, even in our neighborhoods, has been more clear right now as people are are still sheltering in place and and feeling the loneliness and perhaps having particular needs that they're not able to care for. I want to challenge you parents um, to, to teach your children by your example right now that your family extends beyond the walls of your home. Your family is the church which is beyond the nuclear family level. Uh, teach them by your example that family members live outside of our, our walls and have a different last name perhaps than we do. And kids, I want to encourage you to, to think creatively about how you and your family can reach out and care for others. Just I'll just water the ground just a little bit, making cards and sending them to elderly people in the congregation. What a wonderful thing you're able to do. Some of you could make a, a video and have it shown here on, uh, on, on Sunday evenings. Um, there are things that you can do, you are free to do now, that are important and can help you even deal with the sluggishness that comes from this uh, this uh, virus, uh, our response to this virus. The third thing, uh, not only is Jesus' rescue personal and pointed and powerful, Jesus' rescue is personal, God's, uh, um, God's uh, testing is purposeful. And finally here, the Spirit's generosity is profuse. Um, it is excessive. It is more than what we would expect. It is prodigal. Uh, It is over the top. Uh, Verses 10 and 16 challenge us to consider what kind of God we have. Uh, Verses 10 and 16 challenge our understanding, our default understanding of the nature of our God. What kind of God do we have? Look with me at verse verse 8 and following there. Uh, God says, listen. Um, listen. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. 
Uh, and then the Lord goes into the uh, uh, an expansion of the very first commandment. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. And, and that really does represent uh, all of the commands that God gave in, in, uh, in Exodus 20. Um, and, and yet here he goes back to the prologue of those Ten Commandments. Listen, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now in the, pro, in the Ten Commandments, God gives that prologue, I, I redeemed you, I saved you, and then he clicks off ten commands that, that, make, that he has every right to do. And in fact, those commands are for our good. They are a gracious thing. And he could here as well simply have said, because I say so. It would be completely legitimate for God to do that as he often does. But in this psalm, he entreats us. He pleads with us. He says, worship me and not idols. You're looking to an idol to satisfy you in some way, but it can't do that. You're looking to some created thing in, to give some, some satisfaction to your soul, but it can't do that. Come to the Creator. Open wide your mouth. And come to me, and I will satisfy your hunger. I give you what you long for. Your idols won't. He's basically saying there is no better option. Listen to me. Come to me. Open your mouth to me, and I will generously supply. God calls us out of the orbit, out of the gravitational pull of our idolatries in this day as well. Just want to think for, for one example about sometimes we are all too concerned about what other people think. Fear of man. Get the approval of other people. There's nothing inherently wrong with, with wanting to be liked, but you can want it too much. You can need it. And that causes you to act in a way that frequently is unloving to the person and certainly dishonoring to God. How many times are we, are we in a position where God is calling us to be more honest and faithful, faithful to a friend by speaking truth? And yet, and yet we often shy from that because of the backlash. Listen, getting the approval of people is a flimsy promise of well-being. The joy that we get from being liked by another person has a shelf life of about three seconds. God says, instead of that, instead of drinking salt water that only drives you to be more thirsty, open wide your mouth to me and take in the stabilizing grace won by God the Son who is the rock. Remember what I said earlier. That, uh, that Jesus in John 7 also was, uh, was, was speaking at uh, the Feast of Booths there. And, and of course the water that was poured out on the altar during the Feast of Booths uh, is, is reminiscent of or, or recalling the refreshing stream that flowed from the rock at Meribah. So there is Jesus um, in John chapter 7. Um, he is, he is calling out in a loud voice, Behold, whoever is thirsty, 
Whoever would believe in me, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, and then he says, from me, streams of living water will flow from me. And that represents the Holy Spirit whom he would give. The streams of the Spirit flow from his heart. Those streams of living water. And Jesus is saying that Yahweh, uh, on that rock that Moses struck, that is Jesus. I am I am the rock that was struck. John also tells us that the Father gave Jesus the Spirit without limit. And so Jesus gives you and I the Spirit without reservation. Are you thirsty? Open wide your mouth and come to Jesus. All the help that you need for even this difficult journey, for even this time in this hard place, is found in our Lord Jesus. And so, and so I want us to, last finally here, to fight self-absorption with Jesus who is the living water, with Jesus who is the bread. Fight self-absorption with Jesus. Learn from Jesus so that you can be content whether our society opens up or stays more relatively closed. I want you to look back just now. I want you to look back on some personal story, some personal crisis, a family crisis that uh, was very difficult for you to go through, perhaps even gut-wrenching. I want you to think back. Consider that event for just a moment. What, uh, what did you learn? What did you learn in that event? As I look back on my own life and uh, difficulties and dark times, or, or shall I say hard times, rocky times that I've had, I look back on those events as a, an opportunity of suffer that, suffering that was also a pathway to joy. And that's what I'm talking about, the excessive generosity of the Spirit. He gives the best and brings sweetness out of what is harsh, forbidding, and altogether unpromising. And so let the COVID-19 um, disease here increase your hunger for God and do not allow it to take you on a detour away from God and away from contentment with God. Picture, picture instead um, that, that in verse 10 where it says God, um, God says, Open your mouth wide. What comes to my mind is, 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 a, is a, a, a family of, of little birds uh, in a nest and they have just recently been born. They are hungry and their, their beaks are opening up almost at 180 degrees and, and the mother is, is showering them with their, well, worms to be honest, but their food that they like. Um, and, and they are not embarrassed to be hungry. They are not afraid or reluctant to be to be to show their hunger to the one person that can satisfy them. 
And, and what, what Jonathan Edwards makes a point out of here, it, it's an amazing thing, that the wider you open your mouth, the more God gives. This is what Edwards would say. The more valuable the blessing, the more eager God is to give it. The better the blessing, the readier God is to give. Now, our instincts are completely the opposite of this. We would think that the greater the blessing, the more reluctant and the slower that God would be to provide for it. And we might wonder, oh, well, maybe if I've had a really good week, I might be able to, to, to pry some blessings out of him. But this father delights to give good gifts to his children. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it, he says. And the most valuable blessing. We're given a hint of this in in Luke chapter 13. The most valuable blessing is the Spirit himself. So what are you hungry for? What do you want from God? Remember how God tested the Israelites at Marah with this question, is God among us? Is God among us? And how you answer that question changes absolutely everything about your life. God does know. God knows. He knows your work pressure. He knows even your financial hardship. He knows your fears of of poor health and even death. And yet he loves to give honey from the rock. He loves to give sweetness to you in your hard place. And of course, the greatest example of honey coming out of the rock is the mercy that flows from Jesus' side as he was in darkness, as he was in that rocky place we call Calvary. Sweetness from hardness. And that becomes then a picture, a paradigm for how, how we can go through our lives as well. I was just thinking this morning of, uh, uh, of uh, my good friends from Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, and and I, I, was just, I was just picturing them, say Shadrach. Uh, Shadrach uh, has his grandkids gathering around him. And, uh, and, and he says, and I find myself doing this to my own kids. Um, have I ever told you this story? <laughs> And I can imagine him say, have I ever told you this story about the fiery furnace? And he would go on and on about, about how the, the king uh, was, uh, was requiring their loyalty and how they stayed loyal to the Lord and, and all of that and, and how they were thrown into this furnace. But you know what the best thing about that story would have been? I can hear Shadrach saying this now. You know what the best thing about it was, kids? God the Son showed up and walked with us in that furnace. God was there. And you and I meet him too in our hard places. And amazingly, amazingly, that makes those hard places worth it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. We acknowledge you as good. We acknowledge you as our shepherd who never misguides us.
pray for each person um, listening today that in whatever their dark place, their hard place, you would provide the sweetness of honey, the gift of the Spirit to minister the very presence of Jesus. Whoever here is, is, um, is particularly thirsty, starving, perhaps to know you better, perhaps to know you at all, Lord, that we would open wide our mouths, believing upon Jesus, the crucified one for sinners, the one who died to give us life, entrusting ourselves to him. May we walk in the newness of life now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.